Well, good morning, everybody. It's so great to see you here this morning. How's everybody doing? Fantastic. If you would get your Bibles out, if you would, please. We are doing a series around here that we're calling Life in the Spirit. And what we're doing is we're going through the book of Romans. And before Easter, we made it through chapter 7. And now we're in the latter part of Romans. Beginning, we we talked about the series being Life in the Balance. Now we're calling it Life in the Spirit. And and so over the next several weeks, we're going to be going through the latter part of the book of Romans. And when you're looking at the book of Romans, let me try to help you orient yourself just a little bit. Because the book of Romans is basically broken up into five sections. The first section is chapter 1 through the middle of chapter 3. And that section is all about sin. And so the Bible describes for us what sin is and the consequences of sin and reason why Jesus had to come in the first place. And then the second section is the middle of chapter 3 through the end of chapter 5. And that cha- those sections all about salvation. And so in other words, God's solution to this sin issue in our lives. And then the third section is in chapters 6 through chapter 8, and that section is all about sanctification, or in other words, the process that happens to us after we make the decision to follow after Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ? And then the fourth section is chapters 9 through 11, and this section is all about the sovereignty of God. And then chapters 12 through 16 through the end, that section is all about service. This morning, we're going to start looking at chapters 9, 10, and 11. That's where we are. And again, I want to encourage you to be reading the Bible on your own and read through the book of Romans on your own. And when you get to chapters 9, 10, and 11, they're kind of like a parenthesis right in the middle of the book of Romans. And what you'll see as you read these chapters is that the Apostle Paul has Israel on his heart. Because chapter 9 is all about Israel's past, chapter 10 is all about Israel's present, and then chapter 11 is all about Israel's future. But we're going to look at these verses and these chapters, not so much for what they tell us about Israel, but we're going to look at them for what they tell us about the nature of God. Because in Romans chapter 9, by looking at Israel's past, we're able to look and see God's part in our lives. And then in chapter 10, and looking at Israel's presence, we're able to learn a lot about our part in God's workings in our lives. And really, all throughout the Bible, when you read Scripture, you can see these two distinctives, God's part and our part in all of this. This morning, we're going to focus on Romans chapter 10 and our part in God's working in our lives. So if you have your Bible, look at this in Romans chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 9 and 10, which says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now, this passage of Scripture is probably the clearest passage in the entire Bible of how to become a Christian. But I want you to notice the word if in verse 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is really important for us to understand because God's workings in our life is contingent upon things that we are supposed to do. And one of the most important things when you're reading your Bible and is to discover what God's part is and what's our part. Because you can't do God's part and God won't do your part. And all of this comes together here 
And so this is what this, the Apostle Paul's talking about here. He's talking about, he gives us two conditions that are part of our, what we must do in order for us to become a Christian. Two things that are not God's part, but they're actually our part in all this. What are these two things? We're supposed to go to church and tithe. Are those the two things? The two things are make sure you wear such and such clothes and, and make sure you don't sin anymore. Are those the two conditions that he gives us? No, that's not what he gives us. The two things that he gives us that we need to confess with our mouth and we need to believe in our heart. These are the two conditions of this working of salvation in our life. And both of these are necessary, which means to confess without believing is not enough. Confession is just, it's only a half of it, because a lot of people say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I, be, I believe in Jesus. But listen, folks, that's only half right. That's only half right, because not only do you need to confess with your mouth, but you also need to believe in your heart. See, Titus 1, verse 16 says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. So it goes just to confess that you believe in God, just to confess that, yeah, I, I, I believe in Jesus, that, that is not enough. You also have to believe in your heart. And that word believe, in the original Greek language that this was written in, means this. It means to trust in, to cling to, to rely on, to commit to. That's what that word believe in the original language. So many of us, we just kind of have, when we talk about believe, it's just kind of this wispy thing, this kind of idea, oh yeah, I kind of believe in, but that's not what he's talking about. The word believe means to trust in, to cling to, to rely on, to commit to. And so think about this, because James says in, in James 2 verse 19, he says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now think of what James is talking about here. Because he's saying that, yeah, yeah, the devil believes in God. So much so that he actually trembles in that knowledge of God. But here's the thing. You're not going to find Satan and his demons in heaven. Why? Because they haven't committed themselves to Jesus. See, a lot of people have this head knowledge of Jesus, but they've not committed their life to Jesus. I mean, think about it this way. I can believe in money but that doesn't make me rich. I can believe in love, but that doesn't make me married. I can believe in vegetables, but that doesn't make me skinny. <laughs> and what Paul's talking about is the same thing here with me and God, because I can believe in Jesus, but that doesn't make me a Christian. Because the key ingredient here is what? Commitment. Commitment is the key here. What have you committed yourself to do? And so when it comes to our part, the question becomes not so much what you believe in, but what do you trust in? What do you cling to? What do you rely on? What do you commit to? And so many people say, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross. Well, that's not what Apostle Paul says here in Romans 10, 9. He says, if you believe in your heart, what? That God, what? Raised Jesus from the dead. See, folks, it doesn't say to believe that Jesus died on the cross. That's not what we're supposed to believe in. It says that we're to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that's why the resurrection is the central issue of Christianity. Paul talks about this way in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. He says, but if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... 
How can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he not raised him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The Apostle Paul says, if there's no resurrection, then what we're doing here is just hogwash. It's ludicrous. It's insanity. It makes no sense. It is futile here. Because here's the thing. Lots of people have died on the cross throughout history. That was, uh, used to be a way that, that people were, were put to death. But Jesus not only died on the cross, he died for a purpose, and then he rose again. And so the bottom line is, if you deny the resurrection, then you're not a believer. You're not a Christian. And so our part is to believe in, to trust in, to rely on, to cling to, commit to the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. But then not only are we to believe, but then we're also to confess. That's the second part of the equation, which means believing without confessing is still not enough. It's still only half of the equation because there are no secret agent disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not called to hide our faith. Believing and confessing have to come together. And so the question is, well, then what are we to confess? What's our confession supposed to be? Well, the Apostle Paul says that we're to confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord. Now, I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that we're to confess with our mouths that we go to church. It doesn't say that we're to confess with our mouths that we're a Christian. It doesn't say that we're to confess with our mouth that we're a Methodist or a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Catholic or a Lutheran or a Pentecostal or Charismatic. That's not what we're supposed to. That's not what our confession is supposed to be. And not only that, we're not even supposed to. The confession is not that that we that Jesus is our Savior. He doesn't even say that. He says our confession is that Jesus is Lord. Now, the word Lord is used around 640 times in the New Testament. It is the number one phrase that's attached to Jesus in the New Testament. And so when you say Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is that Jesus is God. Not just a good person, not just a prophet, not just a good teacher, but he actually is God. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. And so when, you're, when you say that Jesus is Lord, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saying that Jesus was not just a good man, but he is, in fact, God. That's what our confession is supposed to say. And here's the thing. God expects us to verbalize our faith. It's the second part of the equation, to believe and to to confess. We have to have both of those two as part of this, of our part in, in God's working in our life. And that's why water baptism is so important in our life. It's this significantly profound event that every one of us are supposed to experience. Because water baptism is one of the most profound public confessions of your faith. Water baptism is that time where you stand in a public way and say, Jesus is Lord. 
not just out there, but he's Lord of my life. I belong to him. This world is not my home. Or in other words, another way of saying this is that water baptism, it's like the, the wedding ring of the Christian life. For me, 25 years ago, I said two words that radically changed my life. I said I do to my wife, Courtney, 25 years ago. Now, 25 years ago, I had no idea what I was saying and what the implications of what that meant. But I said it nevertheless 25 years ago, and for the past 25 years, I have been, and I will continue to walk out the implication of those two words. And when I said those two words, I was given this ring that will not come off my finger. <laughs> it, is, it is there on my finger. But, but this ring is an outward symbol of the inward commitment that I've made to my wife, Courtney. Not just as a commitment that I show that I express to myself, but to the world as a whole. Well, think about this, because for me, 42 years ago, I said those two words, I do, to Jesus Christ. And so for the past 42 years, just like the, in marriage, I didn't know what I was doing 42 years ago when I said yes to Jesus. But these past 42 years, I've been walking out and, and will continue, as long as I have breath in my lungs, to walk out the implication of what it means to say yes to Jesus. Well, just like your wedding ring, water baptism is that public declaration of that inward commitment that you've made, that it is that public thing that says, I belong to Jesus. That's where my commitment is. That's where my confession of faith is. And so that's why I always want to encourage you and push you to be water baptized as an adult. And so if you've not been water baptized, I want to encourage you to do that. If, if maybe you were water baptized, but it really didn't make any difference to you, you didn't really know what you were doing, maybe it was something you just kind of did with your peers or your, your folks made you do it or whatever, I want to encourage you, be water baptized again so that it is your confession of faith. Some of you, you were, you were baptized when you were kids, as an infant, you were sprinkled on or, or something. Let me just tell you, something. that is not your profession of faith, that was your parents' profession of faith. And so it, it was fantastic that your parents did that for you, but you have to make that confession of faith. It doesn't say believe in your heart and let your parents confess, does it? It says, we, you, me, I'm, I have to do that. And so that's what water baptism is. And you, you heard it on the announcements. That's why we, we, we're having a water baptism celebration tonight. And so if you've not been water baptized or, or you need to add that into another step of your, of, your, of your movement with God here today, we're doing it right tonight down in One Chapel, Austin. We'll all combine. We do this every, every Easter. We combine all three of our campuses, and we just have a great celebration with food, and then we have 40-some people who are being baptized here this evening, and we will celebrate people in their teens all the way into their 90s who are being baptized here tonight, and so it's just going to be a fantastic thing. And so, like I said, just go to onechapel.info, and you can sign up right there, or you can, or you can text um, onechapel to 313131, and you'll get the information right there on your phone. Sorry for a little plug there. But here in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul, he's showing us our part here. He's showing us our part in the workings of God in our life. And again, he says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Now, the problem that I've seen over the years that I think so many of us can be infected with is that you can take Romans chapter 9, which deals with God's part, and you can take Romans chapter 10, which deals with our part, and so easy to mix our part and God's part all together in some sort of jumbled religious counterfeit. 
It's easy to get those all mixed up and you come up with some sort of, some sort of religious counterfeit. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy verse, chapter 3, verse 5. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. It's so easy for us to fall into that, that place of, you have a form of godliness, there's some sort of belief system that's going on, but you're still missing it. You're, you're jumbling up our part and, and God's part together, and you end up missing it. And that's exactly what was going on with the Jewish people at that, that, that time. They had a semblance of godliness. They had this outward appearance. They, they looked religious. They talked the, the, the talk. But they had mixed up their part with God's part, and as a result, they were completely missing God. Look what Paul talks about in Romans 10, verse 1. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And so the first way that the Israelites mixed up God's part with their part, which can happen to every single one of us, number one, they didn't listen to what God told them. They didn't listen to what God told them. Again, verse 2, For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So if it was all through the Old Testament, God had been telling and teaching the Israelites over and over and over how they were going to be saved, and yet they refused to listen. And time and time and time again, they kept on following their own ways, kept on following the way that they wanted to do. And notice the phrase. It says, they are zealous for God. You know, there's lots of people whose religion is a part of their life. They're religious people. Well, for the Jews... Their whole life revolved around their religion. It consumed them. It was their way of life. It was the centerpiece to their life. They were zealous for God. I remember several years ago, I saw on TV that there was this little girl who was having all these liver problems, and the next day, a bunch of people were calling in wanting to donate their liver. Now, how many of you know that's a problem with zeal without knowledge? In case you missed it, you only have one liver. You can't donate your one liver without dying, folks. But all these people in their zeal to want to help this little girl were volunteering to give one of their livers away here. And that's what happens, I think, so much. And You can be zealous for God and completely miss what's going on. You can have a heart for God. You can have even experiences with God. And somewhere along the way, you stop doing what it is that he's told you to do. And look at the danger of that. James talks about in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And so the result of not being a doer of the word is that you stop growing in your relationship with God. Subconsciously, you start thinking, well, I, I, I kind of know everything. I was raised in church, my mom, my grandma, or whatever. And so you have this awareness of God, and, and the pastor's not telling you anything that you don't know. And so you stop going to church, and you stop being a part of a Bible study or small groups. And, 
And what ends up happening, what the Apostle Paul talks in Ephesians 4, verse 14, he says, infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. That's how we become when we stop doing what the Word tells us to do. So you can be zealous but completely miss the boat because you've stopped listening to God and you stop doing what he's told you to do. And then the second way the Israelites mix up God's part with their part, and I think every single one of us can do the same thing as well, is that they tried to save themselves by good works. They tried to save themselves with good works. Again, the miss. The miss of taking God's part and our part and mixing it together and coming up with some sort of religious counterfeit. That was what was going on. Romans 10 verse 3 says, Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now notice what he's saying here. Because notice he says, They did not know God's righteousness which comes by faith. And so what did they do? They made up their own concoction. They made up their own way of how to do this, of how, this, their own form of godliness. That's a confusion with God's part and their part. That's what was going on. Listen, folks, that happens in our day today so profoundly and profusely in our culture. And if you're not careful, you'll do the exact same thing. You'll, you'll mix God's part and your part and come up with something completely counterfeit. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. One example is just simply salvation by subtraction. So you're, you're, how you'll begin to form this godliness around you is by salvation by subtraction. And that is where if I give up all these bad things, then God will love me and I'll get to heaven. If I just let go of all these things that are, are fun and do, the, do these right things, then God is going to accept me. And so salvation becomes a list of do's and don'ts. Salvation by subtraction. Another example is salvation by service. Salvation by service. And so if you just work hard enough, if you just give enough money, if you just volunteer enough, if you join this humanitarian organization, this humanitarian organization, then that will get you into heaven. And a lot of people are thinking if their good works are just greater than their bad works, then that will be their ticket in. But listen, folks, God doesn't grade on the curve. Salvation by service. And then here's one more example, and that is salvation by our own standards. Salvation by our own standards. And this, by far, I think, is the religion of our culture today. If it feels good, do it. Whatever you think you should do, go for it. That's the way it needs to happen. Just do your own thing. This is by far is the spirit of our age today, salvation by our own standards. See, it's so important for us to understand what's God's part and what our part is. And we need to let the word of God then show us the difference. To examine and let the word of God be able to show us what's the difference between God's part and our part. Because if we don't do that... And unintentionally, I think what can happen, or intentionally, is that you can mesh these two into some sort of religious concoction and completely miss God. This is the essence of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 25 when he was talking about the sheeps and the goats. For me, it's one of the scariest passages of Scripture in the New Testament because the goats were the people who thought they were getting entrance into heaven. They had done the religious things. They were church-going people. But yet Jesus says, I do not know you. 
what happened. They mixed God's part and our part into some sort of some sort of concoct, religious concoction that completely missed God. And let me suggest to every single one of us, we are susceptible to that. You are susceptible to that, which is why God's word needs to show you the distinction. You need to do what the word says. Don't just hear it, but actually do what it says. And so our part is to believe and to confess. And then once you've done that, the Apostle Paul says there's one more major responsibility that we have here at the end of Romans Chapter 10, he says in verse 14, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so he says, when you, when you settle this thing, when you get God's part and our part here together, when you understand what they're supposed to be, now we have a responsibility. Not just for your own application, but our responsibility is to share this amazing message of Jesus Christ with others. If you're a Christian, that's your responsibility. And the perspective that the Apostle Paul gives us is this question. Why doesn't God take you on to heaven the moment you become a believer? When you understand God's big purpose, he wants to be with us. And so then when you make the decision to follow Jesus, why doesn't he just transport you to heaven, get you, get you through this? Get, 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 that's going to just be done with all of this. In other words, why does he just keep you here on earth? Why don't you think about this? Because there are two things that you cannot do in heaven. You cannot sin in heaven, and you cannot witness in heaven. And in case you haven't figured this out, God didn't leave you here on earth to sin. <laughs> that's not why you're here. That's not your purpose. That's not, that's not why God has you here. God left you here on this earth to be a witness, to tell other people of what Jesus has done in your life. And so Paul tells us this from this perspective that, number one, God uses people to reach people. God uses people to reach people. If, you came to, if you've come to Jesus, you've given your life to Jesus, somebody was involved with that. Whether it was a book, somebody wrote that book, or whether it was a TV program, somebody was involved with that. God uses people to reach people. And not only that, he also, Paul also talks that then all of us are sent. All of us are sent. See, if you're a Christian, you're sent. God has sent you, commissioned you into this world, into every man's world, into the nursing field and the engineering field and into the business world and in the schools and in all sorts of areas. God's commissioned you then to go to be his witness. What is a witness? A witness is simply one who just testifies what they've experienced. What you've seen, what you've heard, what you personally experienced, that's just what you're called to do, to just share with other people what Jesus has done in your life. Because the calling to be a Christian is a calling to be a witness. For you to go, you are commissioned by God to go into wherever God has called you to go. This is our part, folks. This is your part. And here's the, the statistics, because there are 2.8 billion people in the world who still have not heard about Jesus Christ. 2.8 billion people who've never heard about Jesus Christ. Let me hone that in here for you, because that may be too big and massive when you think about the world. But let's just talk about Travis County, God's country. 
where most Texans tend to think that everybody's a Christian. Let me give you some stats, because in the census that was done in 2010, we got two more years to wait till 2020 to find out what the, these last 10 years are. But in 2010, the number of non-religious people increased from 45% in the year 2000 to 53.8% in 2010. So in 10 years, from 2000 to 2010, the number of non, what they call them nuns, non-religious affiliation with any sort went from 45% to 53.8%. And so non-religious people are now in the majority here in Travis County, Texas, God's country where supposedly everybody is Christian, right? Not only that, the number of Muslims increased from 3.8% to 12.4%. The number of Hindus increased from 0% to 5.7%. The number of Buddhists increased from 0% to 7.8%. What about Christians? Well, Christians decreased from 43.3% to 40%. Travis County, folks. Right, where you live, your neighborhood, your co-workers, the people that you're shopping around. Our responsibility, if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, God's left you here and you are sent into this culture to testify what it is that Jesus has done for you. Let me suggest to you something. If you, by happenstance, Take a root of some sort of, of plant that you happen upon, and you are dying of cancer, and you eat that root, and it heals you. I can't imagine any of you keeping it to yourself. You would splatter social media. Everybody will give you just an ounce of time. You're going to be telling them about this plant. You had cancer. You were dying. You ate this root, and it healed you just like that. If that's true, then where does Jesus fit into this for us? I mean, has he done something in your life or not? Because if he's done something in your life, then we're to be a witness of it. Just tell people what Jesus has done. It doesn't mean you have to convert them or convince them. Just tell people. Just tell people what Jesus has done in your life. We can't ignore our, our, our responsibility. And that's what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 10. Because how can they hear? How can they understand? How can they know if you don't go? If you don't share with others, how are they ever going to see it and know it for themselves? And so I want you to think about this just personally. Because when was the last time you shared with somebody what Jesus has done in your life? Just simply telling people, when was the last time you actually told somebody about what Jesus has been doing in your life? Or when was the last time you brought somebody to church with you? Or let me make it a little bit more a poignant question, and that is, who will be in heaven because of you? We can't take anything to heaven with us except people. That's it. And so who will be in heaven because of you? Your parents? Your children? Your spouse? Your coworkers? Your neighbors? You can't take anybody, anything else 
Nothing else goes to heaven with you. Enjoy it now because this is where it stays. But you can't take it to heaven with you, but you can take people with you. So who will be in heaven with you because of you? If you want, I want you to just close your eyes because I don't want you to think about anybody else or anything else. I just want you to just let God begin to just stir your own heart here because if you already have a real relationship with Jesus, would you right now just begin to ask God to put someone specific on your heart who doesn't know Jesus? Just right where you are, just begin to ask God. Just to open your eyes to show you somebody specific. This, that God would put his heart beat for that person in, in your heart. And just begin to ask, God, would you give me a burden for somebody? Whether it's a neighbor or, or friend or a relative or somebody you work with. And, and maybe just right here, right now, just ask God, God, help me to reach one person for Jesus this year. Just start there. God, just help me to reach one person for Jesus this year. God, I don't want this year to be a barren year. I want to reach just one person for you here in 2018. Because here's the thing, somebody risked that for you. Somebody was willing to share what God had been doing in their life for you. And I, I mean, aren't you glad of that? You know, maybe this morning you're hearing this message and you're not even sure if you're saved. Maybe you believe in Jesus, but that's all the further that's gone for you. You're not really committed your life to him. And you're not really sure where that puts you in eternity. Well, the Apostle Paul, that's what Romans is all about. That's what he's talking about here in these chapters that we were talking about here this morning. And the good news is that every one of us, we can know without a shadow of doubt whether we're in a right relationship with God or not because he says if you'll just believe in your heart and confess then with your mouth if you haven't done that then just right here right now in this moment just just do that for yourself just as we talked about make that decision make that confession of your faith just say Jesus I want to believe in you I want you to be my Lord I want to accept you as God of my life I believe God raised you from the dead, and I want in on all that you want to do in my life and in this world. Just pray that. Just invite him. Commit yourself to him. And then if you've prayed that, if you, if you made that decision here today, then just take the next step to confess that with your mouth. If you came here with a friend, just share with your friend before you leave here this morning, just that decision, that confession. Let it come out of your mouth. Verbalize your faith here today. Or if you're here by yourself or you don't want to share that with your friend, come up to me after service or one of the prayer team people and just make that confession, that outward confession. Use your mouth to just proclaim, declare the decision that you're making even here today. And then tonight, why don't you go ahead and be baptized? Why don't you just jump on in and make the, the next step, get that, that, that wedding wing, ring, if you will, that, that public confession where you'll have that as a moment in your life, declaring to the world your conviction and your confession of faith. Father, I pray for every single one of us here today, God, that you would just continue to stir in our heart. Thank you that you are faithful even when we are faithless. 
And so, Father, we, wanna, we want to step into all that you have for our lives. And so, Father, I pray that your word would help differentiate between your part and our part. And that, God, that we could walk this together, that we could step into all that you have for us. And Lord, I pray for every single person here today that maybe has jumbled this up and got this all kind of backwards and upside down and, and has come out with some sort of religious concoction that completely misses you. Lord, I pray specifically for them that, God, that your spirit of truth would enter inside of that to distinguish truth from lies, truth from deception, truth from religion, and that your spirit now would invade that space. And Lord, they begin to come alive in you. They begin to hear your voice clearly. They begin to understand the purpose that you have for their lives. And Lord, I pray for every person here who has a real relationship with you. Lord, I pray that shift would take place of boldness and courage to step out to be one who's sent by you into their workplace. That this week, that we'd go sent by you into our homes and into the stores and into those schools. That, God, that we would see ourselves rightly as your ambassador stepping into those environments. And, Lord, that we would then just share, whenever possible, just share what it is that you have done in our lives. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in us and in our congregation and here in this hill country. We're going to take communion here together as part of our worship here. The Bible describes for us that the night Jesus was betrayed, he, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Communion is a public confession of our faith. That when we take this into us, we are even publicly and personally, we are declaring our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Here at One Chapel, we celebrate open communion, which simply means this. You don't have to be a member of this church to take communion. This table is not set by us. It's set, Jesus is the one who set this. And so this is not a church thing. It's not a membership thing. This is open for all. And like I said, if you've never made that decision, you can make that decision right now just to believe in your own heart and to confess with your mouth. And so we're just going to have this as part of our worship celebration. How we're going to do this here is that there's two tables set in front. This section, this table's for you. This section over here, this table's for you. And what we're going to do is we're just kind of doing it in an orderly way. We're going to start in the front row. If you'll exit to the right and just circle around, take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and then circle back and just have your moment with the Lord. If for any reason you feel uncomfortable, please do not feel obligated or feel pressured to do this. Just, just stay seated where you are. Or if you want to walk through the line, you can do that as well and just pass on by. Why don't you stand to your feet? Let's worship God here together.
You know, the prayer team is going to be up front here, and these men and women are always around to pray with you and to stand with you in whatever you're going through, and, and even in your confession of faith, they're here to, to pray with you as you start that new journey um, as well. And so I want you to always know, we, we believe God intervenes. We believe in the miraculous power of God to heal your bodies and to open doors and to provide for you. And, and so the Bible says, ask. You have not because you've asked not. And so these people are here to pray with you and to stand with you. Let me just pray with you. Let me just speak a blessing over you. Father, thank you for what you've done here today. Thank you for what you're doing in us. And so, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name, God, for your blessing to come upon each one of these individuals. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.